you this night, and we ask now that you would take each part of the service, and Lord, that you would uh, uh, rejoice in our hymns that we sing to you, Lord, that you would be uh, give us give strength to teach, and Lord, give strength and ability to understand that we may be encouraged and strengthened in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And uh, we're back in our uh, uh, series on theology and Again, uh, there is so much more that we could do. We did four lessons on Christ. Each one of those lessons could have been a dozen uh, lessons in, in and of themselves. And there are many other things that we could have covered. But uh, if you remember, where we ended was the incomparable Christ. And yet, what do so many religions do? They offer or... Uh, have in, involved in them things that compare to Christ in the Catholic Church uh, and the Orthodox Church. You have all the saints. Uh, if you're traveling, uh, don't bother Jesus with that. St. Jude will take care of it for you. Uh, somebody made up a little ditty. I don't care if it rains or freezes, as long as I have my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. And, and uh, people make, uh, they, they do those things, but they're based in this belief that somehow these other saints are going to help and aid God in doing His work. Let me tell you something, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. And when uh, you hear your friendly uh, little uh, Mormon elder who's younger come by and start talking to you and, and telling you that you can be just like Jesus, all of a sudden the red sirens ought to be going off. This is totally, no one can be like Jesus. Uh, when Mr. Sheldon years ago came up with his little thing, what would Jesus do? Hey, wait a minute. You cannot do what Jesus did unless He chooses to do it through you. And you say, boy, you're just being a little nitpicky there. Uh, well, Brother Waterloo talked about this. You you get on the train and you can, you're going to go to the end of the line unless you get off. And uh, these things point to less than Christ. And the same thing happens with God the Father. Um, and so what we're going to do is try to move into what is called theology proper or the doctrine of God the Father... And we're going to have to grapple with some incredible things, and yet I'm going to try to keep it in its simplest principles if a child can be saved. And Jesus said, unless you become converted and be, unless you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Therefore, we can understand that a little child can know everything they need to know about God to spend eternity with them. I think our theologians and things make things too complicated. And so we start in the first verse of the Scriptures. It says, In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. Now, um, we just need to understand something. Before there was a beginning, God was. God is. God always will be. Uh, God is the eternally self-existent one. That's why uh, we'll jump ahead a little bit to Exodus chapter 3. Moses said, tell me your name so that I can uh, tell Israel who sent me. And God said, this is my name. I am that I am. Uh, when you hear the word Jehovah used, or as you look through your King James Bible, you'll see the title Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all capital letters. Uh, that is denoting the Hebrew equivalent of Jehovah God. Everything... That now is everything that we can put our hands on, everything we can touch, we can see, we can understand, has its origin, has its source in God. There was nothing but God before creation. And everything that we know and understand, including ourselves, comes from God. Now... One of the things that I just like to spend a little bit of time with, when God created the heavens and the earth, He created space, He created all the stars, and um, uh, probably should have went and and seen if I could find this um, uh, chart of the stars. Our sun is is 93 million miles away, and yet it provides enough heat to this earth that we need to turn the air conditioning on in the wintertime. I mean, in the summertime. And uh, it, it provides enough heat to this earth to keep it warm and to regulate all over the uh, things. And if you go outside in the summertime without protectant on, what happens? The sun burns you from 93 million miles away. And they tell us if the ozone layer wasn't there, the ultraviolet rays would come through and all life would end on earth in a matter of hours. So, um, the simple truth of the matter is our sun is huge. It is hot. And yet, if we were to put it on a chart with some of the other suns that are out there, our sun wouldn't even be, in order to put it into scale, 
you would have to have a microscope to see our sun on the same sheet of paper with some of the stars that are in our universe. It is simply unbelievable what is out there. They tell us it's 13.5 billion light years across the universe. And God spoke and it came into being. Now, I want you to stop and think about something. Does that not tell you just a little bit about God? We can start over again. God created the heaven and the earth. He created the universe in which our world is found. And one of the things I like to say is who but God could waste the expanse of the universe to put one little planet in this universe with life on it. I do not expect NASA to find life forms on other planets. Uh, Would that go against the Bible? Well, the Bible tells us that there is life outside of earth and heaven and all of those things. And people try to figure all of this out. But let me tell you something. NASA is not going to find angels. Uh, They're not going to find entrance to heaven with all of their satellites and all of those things that are out there. But I want you to understand God is big. Everything that now is He created. But before creation began, look with me to John chapter 17 and verse 24. We're just going to have to pick up a lot of verses tonight. John chapter 17. It says, Jesus is praying here just before he is arrested and goes to the cross. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Quickly, Ephesians chapter 1. And verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Uh, Brother Zach, could you turn this fan down a little bit? It's just blowing my Bible pages around. Uh, The simple truth is, the Calvinist loves to jump the gun and say, See, God planned everything before creation. Yes, he did. But we have to read the rest of the Bible. God said, for whosoever will. God said that he loved not the elect, but he loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. And we look at the verses in the Bible and God's plan was fully complete before anything was created. 
God created this universe. It's taken us 6,000 years of human history to begin to probe the expanse of the universe in which we find ourselves. And some of the most beautiful pictures you can see are those ones that come back from the Hubble Space Telescope and they go in and uh, the uh, electronic image and they tint the different clouds, different colors, and you can see the stars and all of those things. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And yet... God created it all. Revelation 4.11, it says, Thou art worthy. Why? Because everything was created for His pleasure. God made everything in His time, in His way, to be His servants. Does that mean that everything does exactly what God says it's going to do? Read your Bible. Man has transgressed God's will at many, many times. It's interesting. God created the universe and it does exactly what He tells it to do. God created man and Jesus said, Broad is the way and wide is the gate which leadeth unto destruction. And many be that go in thereat. That doesn't make God weak. That tells you that He's giving us a choice. God has no peers. This is not something that it should be shocking to anyone. But there is nothing in this universe that can be compared to God. On the obverse, or the opposite of that, we can praise God through what we see and what we perceive about what He has created. Amen? Everything that now is sings praise and glory and shows the design of the Creator. We have a whole group of scientists who refuse to believe the Bible as authoritative as the Word of God. And yet, they believe in a God, a, a, an intelligent being that created the earth because logic tells you it has to be. It's just that simple. And so, when we say that God has no peers, there's no other God. So, when someone tells you our religion has over 300 million gods, all of a sudden, you don't have to go any further. You don't have to ask any other questions. You don't have to go anywhere else. It's attacking the person of the God of the Bible. When they tell you that um, that we, um, I'm sorry, um, when when they tell us that you can become like God, or you can be good enough to please God, or you can be good enough to gain His favor, all of a sudden again, wait a minute, this blasphemes the character and the goodness of God. When they tell you that God understands your sin and He excuses it, wait a minute, 
that, again, attacks the character and the person of God. Because how could God judge sin as He has in the Bible and then let other sins just go wholly unprotected without God being a respecter of persons and treating people unfairly and doing all of these things that we accuse other human beings of doing? You see, God, now I know where I, I, I skipped a point here, and you have to forgive me, but God, as we've said, has no causative origin. He, he didn't begin. He has no beginning. He has no ending. You say, well, I can't comprehend that. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an ending. Um, I like what Ronald Reagan said, the closest thing to you get eternal life on earth is a government bureaucracy. Uh, once they start, they never stop. And I think there's some truth in that. Uh, but what we have to understand is God didn't develop. He didn't become better as a God. He has never gotten one degree better than he was before creation. I know you know this, but think about it. What have you ever done that you didn't think about first? Well, my heart beats without me thinking about it. Uh, If I stay up long enough, my body will go to sleep without me thinking about it. I don't have to think about breathing. I mean, these things are kind of programmed in. But if I'm going to do anything positive, if I'm going to do anything that is meaningful, I'm going to have to think about it first. How many of you had something to eat today? You know what? You had to think about that. If you're the cook... You had to think about what you're going to cook. You had to go to the store and get these things. You had to come home and you had to think about how you were going to prepare it. Am I going to, uh, am I going to eat this kale raw? Or, or am I going to uh, cut it up and, and add some things to make it taste like something and, and steam it to, so it's not like straw and, and uh, make it so that it can be eaten? And uh, I'm glad that my daughter or wife did that today because uh, raw kale, uh, that might be good for bunny rabbits, but it's not good for humans. You've you got to do something to it first. I'm glad that somebody put some thought process into it. God doesn't think. God has never thought about anything. The only time that he attributes those, those, that idea is so that you and I can understand a little bit more about God. You see, God doesn't have to think. He knows. I've been working on this pulpit in, in my mind for years and years and years. We finally got it put together. And you know what? It didn't come out quite 
exactly according to the way we thought. So we had to cut this and add this and change this and we got it all ready and mounted and it looked just wrong. So we had to take it apart and not the pulpit completely, but there's some things that had to be moved a little this way and some brackets that have to be welded on and all of that. And that's, Lord willing, what we're going to be doing tomorrow and and Saturday trying to get this thing to the point to where we can get it finished. And by the way, would you pray? Uh, tried to get a quote on the carpet this week and the guy called and said he was going to show up and then never showed up. And, and so we need to get... Uh, we need to get some quotes so that you can vote so that we can get the floor refinished and the carpet down and then we'll be pretty much done major hostilities and uh, I'm looking forward to that hoping we can get that on track to get it done uh, before we go to youth camp I I think that would be a great goal and it's possible but I want you to pray about that and if I seem a little scatterbrained it's just because we've been breathing sawdust and paint thinner and all those things for the last several days. But uh, what, what we have to understand is God will not become any better than He already is. You know, we have a tendency to treat God like an idol. Brother Clayton's told this story, I think I've told it here many times, of him being in one of the villages and and uh, all of a sudden he heard a little ruckus and a woman came out of her house with a little thing and she threw it on the ground and picked it up and threw it on the ground and kicked it and spit on it and cursed it and was just throwing a royal fit and rolling it into the ashes of the fire. And Brother Clayton said, what in the world's going on? Well, she's punishing her God. He didn't do what she asked him to do. And so she's teaching him if he wants to be treated well. And pretty soon he said, I looked down there and there she was picking it up and dusting it off and kissing it and hugging it and took it back into the house. And and he said she was promising to God that if he would do what she wanted, that she would treat him nice and she'd give him lots of rice and take care of him. And and uh, always thought... You know, boy, that is so strange. But then, when anything happens in the United States today, what is the first exclamation that is made? Oh, my God. Now, if you're in the habit of doing that, you need to get that fixed. Because we blame God when something bad happens. And we get real happy... When God does something that we want Him to do. Did it ever occur to you that God is really not that interested? I mean, in in your wants. What God is interested in is making you want what He wants. That is the essence of the Christian life. And we demean God when we think about Him in ways that we think about ourselves. You see, God doesn't depend on us. And yet, I could name religions. I've I've heard people complain. 
They said, yeah, you don't know what it's like at our church. I mean, they're trying to renovate the building and you would think God was broke. Uh, they're talking about how that we've got to give so they can fix this and fix that and all of this. And they're raising money and you pledge and they call you up on the phone. They make sure that you give what you promised. I mean, it's all written down. How many of you would like to turn in a copy of your 1040 to the church in order for us to check and make sure that you tithed? How many of you knew the Mormon church does that to every member? And people put up with it. You know what the Bible says is every man purposes in his heart, so let him give. And as the preacher that visited us uh, uh, Tuesday after uh, Tuesday morning, he was talking to us and we were telling the history of the church and he's just going, wow, I can't comprehend this. Your little church doing what it does, that's, that's not normal. He said, well, we have some very giving people in our church. You see, once God gets a hold of your heart, the wallet's not a very big deal now, is it? Uh, the checkbook's not out of reach. And, and God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. In fact, all the good that God does in this world, He does in spite of us, not because of us. And yet, what is most religion about? It's about you doing something to please God. That's foreign to the Bible. God doesn't need you to please Him. We've got to understand something. If we will choose to please God, we will find the greatest place of blessing and goodness that a human being can experience. Amen? When we are finally where God wants us to be, that He may use us as He chooses to use us, we will find the greatest blessings, the greatest joy, the greatest of all that life has to offer because there is only one God. I get so tired of people saying, yeah, yeah, we be but we all believe there's only one God. Well, technically that's true. But tell me about your God. You see, there are many false gods in this world. And one of the things that we didn't deal with under the teaching of Jesus Christ is all the false Christ. One of the reasons why we chose not to deal with that is because we'll pick that up when we get to the study of the end times, eschatology. But also, because if you want to find out the fake Christ, you study the real one. Then the fake ones are very, very apparent because they're different. And see, God doesn't need us. We need Him. He has no peers. There is nothing that God can be compared to. And there are hundreds and hundreds of references here in your Bible. But I want us just to get to Deuteronomy chapter 4. 
And God here is explaining to the children of Israel through Moses what he has done and what God's purpose is in choosing Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 39. It says, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above, And upon the earth beneath, there is none else. And we could look up, like I said, hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Bible. There is no other place to go. The devil tried. To be equal. In fact, if you read Isaiah chapter 14, what was his ultimate blasphemy before he was thrown down? He said, I will be like the Most High. Now stop and think about that statement. Because that is grammatically, logically, Sensibly incorrect. You cannot have two most highs. Isn't that true? And even in his attempt to usurp the authority of God, he had enough sense to make nonsense because that's all the farther we can go. He said, I will be like the Most High. Can't do that. Because if it is the Most High, that means it is unique in its position. It is above all else. And that, my friend, is the definition of God. And the devil, as he attempted to be like the Most High, was cast down. And if you got one of those new Bibles, they put a reference in Isaiah chapter 14 to 1 Peter chapter 1 and tried to make Lucifer son of the morning and Jesus the morning star of the same person. That's one of the reasons why we reject many of the modern versions. If you've got the new century Bible, look in the notes. I couldn't believe it I, when someone told me. I said, this, this isn't true. I read it in a book and I said, no, that can't be. No one would be so blasphemous to do that. But they've done it. You see, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll spend just a few moments here. And I grant it, please gird up the loins of your mind. Trying to deal with the vastness and the greatness of God is just more than the human mind is capable of comprehending. But the Bible does tell us to try to grapple with this, to try to think about God's greatness and His goodness. In verse 28, it says, And when all things shall be subdued unto Him, talking about the Son, talking about Jesus... 
Then shall also the Son himself be subject unto him that, that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Now, we do see a difference between God the Father and God the Son. The ideal here is that everything God said by His command, that all things are put under Jesus' feet. We haven't seen that yet, but we're going to. And when all things are under Jesus' feet, the last enemy that is destroyed is death. Then Jesus is going to submit Himself to the Father that God may be all in all. That's why when we get to the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, where does the Lamb appear? In the midst of the throne. Now, how do you do that? You've got a throne where God the Father is seated, and the Lamb appears in the middle of the throne. They say two things cannot exist in the same space, but they're not two things. Because God the Father and God the Son are one. And if that doesn't blow your mind, that's because you don't have one to blow. Amen? Uh, If that doesn't just tilt the thought process meter to uh, overload, it's because we're not thinking of God in the way that we should. And when we think about God properly... He was good in all of His goodness. He was great in all of His greatness. He was love in all of its power and all of its glory, and yet He was holy in true perfect holiness before He said, let there be light. God has not gotten one bit better or one bit worse. He has stayed exactly the same if you... Uh, Like the theological term, it's called immutability. God does not change. The only thing God changes is the direction that we are headed in when we surrender to Him. Amen? God had no beginning. He has no end. He does not change. He does not depend upon anything. There is nothing that can be compared to Him there, there is nothing that we can use to help us understand God. So that brings us to the next point. God reveals Himself to His creation. God gives us information. Now, of course, if you turn to Romans chapter 1, there is what we call general revelation. This is available to every living person that's ever been on planet Earth. Verse 18 of chapter 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. 
Because that which may be known of God is manifest where? In them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. It's amazing where people go and how far they go and how twisted their logic is. I remember talking to one guy up here on 30th Avenue. I just simply said, now listen, our church building is made out of brick uh, and mortar holds the brick in place. And then we got plaster walls and and that was before we did put up the new steel studs and and sheetrock in the auditorium and the stained glass and all of this. I said, every brick, sometimes just go out there and look at that 35-foot wall. Every brick was placed there by hand. It was done on purpose and in order. Because if it weren't, the wall would have no structural integrity. But you, with nearly 10 trillion cells, a liver which performs 500 separate functions every day necessary to maintain life, you got here by accident. That's nonsense, my friend. In fact, it was one of their people that said, listen, if you took all the parts of a watch and put it in a box and shook it until you heard a tick, that's how long it would take evolution to happen. Well, you know what that doesn't consider? Every one of those moving parts in that clock had to be specifically machined to perfect tolerances so that it could be fit together? So where did all the parts come from? The simple truth of the matter is God has revealed His Godhead, His eternal power, His authority as God in the universe. You know, we have scientists right now that are trying to measure uh, the burst of energy that happens when a star explodes. It's called a quasar. It is the greatest power source in the universe. More power is released in one quasar than has been generated by man in all of his history. And they're trying to put all this together and... Yet, when a hurricane comes, we can't stop the wind blowing. When an earthquake happens, we can't stop the ground from shaking. We refuse to believe what God has revealed in creation. His eternal power and His Godhead, His authority... 
God has revealed Himself to us in His creation. But you know what? He's revealed Himself to us in His words. Read Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2. The voice of God came walking in the garden in the cool of the evening. How did God create this world? God spoke. And the power of His spoken word took absolutely nothing and made something out of it. That's amazing. That is who God is. The word Lord, Jehovah God, is used 6,519 times in your King James Bible. And most of the time when it is used, it is, thus saith the Lord. The Lord God commanded, and God said, and God did. And 6,519 times that one term for God is used in your Bible. And yet people say, well, there's no way of knowing, you know, I'm not an atheist. I can't, I can't say there isn't a God because I can't prove a universal negative. I understand this, but you can't know Him. 6,519 times in this book I hold in my hand, God is giving a message to mankind. I, I think you can know a little bit about God if you're willing to read. Amen? And yet, in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Yet in these last days hath He spoken unto us, how? By His Son. God has revealed Himself to us in creation. He's revealed Himself to us through His spoken Word. God has revealed Himself through us by the living Word, which is Jesus Christ. Every one of those things is telling us more about God. And so when a person says they cannot know or do not know about God, uh, there are only two options. One is, they are blind so that they cannot see, deaf so that they cannot hear. They have no way of sensing or perceiving anything that is going on around them because all you have to do is look up into the sky at night and know there has to be a God. They have to be impossible to communicate with. Because if they can understand the simplest sentences, as a little child, guess what? They can understand what God says about him in his word. And by the way, parents, when you have little children, don't get them a simple version of the Bible to read. Just let them struggle with the hard words. They'll get them a lot quicker than you think they will. And if you are struggling with English as your second language, here's, let me tell you something. If you can read this book, you can read anything you would ever need to read in English. So get started. And once you've got this, you will be among the top level of English knowledge, being able to read and perceive... And what does this book do? It tells us about it. About God. And you can know Jesus Christ because God 
wants a real and intimate relationship with individual human beings. That's what all this Bible is about. Have you ever met a really important person? They were in the room, and they were there, and you were there, and maybe you said, I'm just going to go up and talk to them. And they didn't have time to talk to you. They were, they were just too busy. They had to keep moving. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. But I'll tell you what, I've been in the room with some truly important and very busy people. And they took time to talk to me. You know what happened in my mind? Their level of greatness and importance just went up ten notches. Because a truly great person is not impressed with other people's proposed greatness. A truly great person treats people like people. Amen? And yet, what does this book tell me about the way that the Creator God of the universe treats me? He knows the number of hairs in my head. He takes time to attend the funeral of every sparrow that falls. He took time to... Well, he didn't take time. Sorry. He doesn't. He already knew. He had the plan complete before creation began. He knew what the cross would entail. And yet he chose to endure the shame of the cross that you and I might be reconciled unto God. Can't get any greater than that. And by the way, my God's so great, He doesn't need any helpers to get the job done. My job as a preacher is not to help God. I'm to point you in the right direction. God does all the work. Amen? You see... The Bible tells us that He wants to give us His Spirit into our body so that we can cry, Abba, Father. That is the, in the Hebrew, that is the dearest term. That is just like saying, my uh, daddy, I love you. That's That's in English what we would say. And... It says, God wants to speak to us that way. He wants to take care of us as little children. It says, it is His pleasure to give to us the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 5, we'll be in that course, if you're here tonight and saved, praising God for making us kings and priests unto our God. You see, it is God that loved us. We love Him because He first loved us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever, 
believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the God of the Bible. You know what? We, we need to spend a little time thinking about Him. He created this universe, the best we can understand, a little over 6,000 years ago. And He's never had to tune it up. You know many times we have to tune up our calendars just to keep the day straight? Every so often, they, came, they built this atomic clock about 30 years ago, and it is measures time in millionths of a second. And I just read an article within the last two years. They had to adjust the clock because it wasn't keeping up the proper time. Now, it was only a few millionths of a second off. But we still had to adjust our clock. You know, God's never adjusted His. That's how big He is. And yet, like the song that Assurance used to sing, He knows my name. I love that song. He wants to have a personal relationship. Now, you stop and think about all the religions that are in the world. The religions that call themselves Christian. You weren't allowed to know God in the Orthodox Church or the Catholic Church. You had to go talk to the priest first. If you were a Protestant, either you talked to the, uh, the, the whatever they called the clergy in your church, or uh, you were the other extreme of Protestantism where God just didn't care. You do the best you can and put a big smile on your face and He understands. You go to the God of the Bible and He knows everything you've ever done. And yet He still loves you and wants to talk to you as an individual. How great is the God of the Bible? There is none else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this night. Lord, we just ask that you would help us. The, the thoughts and the things we're trying to comprehend and grapple are just beyond human ability. Yet, Lord, if you would, just give us a, a small glimpse of your greatness. Of how good you are. And let us be reminded that you're not any bit better than you were before creation and that you won't be any bit worse for all the untold eons of all of eternity yet to come. Lord, let us love you. Let us obey you. Let us give our lives to you as our creator. Let us read your revelation. And most of all, Lord, let us enjoy the fellowship that you would have with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we'll just have the piano play. If you need to slip out and spend a little time at the altar, the altar is open.